0: All right, inclined kids and nursery, uh, you may be dismissed. There we go, the mass exodus. (laughs) Multiply that times 10 and there you have an Easter egg hunt. So (laughs) they just keep coming. All right, is, and this one of the greatest inventions of all time, right? Yeah, duct tape, all the kids in the front row, or duct tape me, that's later. But uh, yeah, duct tape is one of the uh, things that we find amazing uses for. And so, um, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not the greatest with repairing things, so duct tape is my go-to. Um, so I figured I'd show you a few great repairs from duct tape. So there you go, a nice mailbox fixed by duct tape. See, very useful. Uh, how, how about this one? Trying to heal a tree through duct tape. Can Put that there. I'm not sure if that's going to work or if that's to eliminate squirrels or something like that. Who knows? Um, right here, you can see the light before and after duct tape. So that's a good fix. That's uh. A lo- lovely, I don't know if that was a public servant who did that or how that duct tape uh, ended up coming out and turning out with that. Um, and then we have another one here. This one was a failed duct tape experiment. It did not work to keep the boat up. I don't know if that was a purely duct tape boat. Sometimes they have competitions like that. Uh, and then finally, I think I've seen a lot of these around town and they have different color duct tape to make it look good. The thing about duct tape is that when I make a duct tape fix, I look at it as a work of art. I, I'm proud of it. And I, are you, any of you proud of it? I wonder what your best duct tape fix is. But, I, I mean, I look at that and I'm proud of it, but nobody else seems to be as enamored with it. When someone else sees it, they look at it and they say, oh, that's a bad repair job. Or, oh, they're too lazy to really get it fixed. Uh, or oh, they don't have insurance. Um, <laughs> and so we can look at other people's duct tape fixes, and that's a, the funny thing is that it looks a little awkward. And you know, duct tape is OK, but it only fixes usually the outside of a problem and doesn't fix the real problem. Uh, it doesn't solve the issue. Um, it's a temporary fix to try and get to a problem that's much deeper, a problem that can't be solved with just a a couple pieces of tape. And today as we get back into the uh, Gospel of Mark, uh, we're going to see that some of the problems in our lives we try to fix with duct tape, uh, but it doesn't solve the real issue at the heart of the matter and so as we dig back into this, I want to encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 7, and uh, we'll be walking through here and uh, looking. And once again, we have Jesus interacting with uh, the Pharisees. And it says, the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. And so they were uh, coming back to engage with Jesus. They were actually coming out to find him and listen to him and actually come after Jesus a little bit. And so uh, here in Mark 7 we see that and we see that um, what happens is they come out to Jesus and they saw that some of the disciples. Uh, ate with hands that were defiled, uh, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there were many other traditions that they observed, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked them, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And so, immediately they're coming after Jesus, they're they're looking at him and criticizing what he's doing with uh, their uh, traditions and laws. And, you know, a lot of times... I. I think we need to stop and sympathize because these scribes and Pharisees, they're the religious leaders. Um, Their goal is to connect people with God. And remember, they had access to the scrolls. Most of them could read and write, but not everybody in that society or culture could. And so people were really dependent on them to know how to relate to God. And and I think their hearts started out right. They, they started to look and say, you know, maybe it, we make it easier if we set up this rule that's a little bit beyond God's rule. To, that way we make sure we don't break God's rule about eating unclean food or, or, or uh, working on the Sabbath. And they began to set up, and I'm thankful they did call them what they are, traditions. Uh, traditions to help them Originally, I believe, I have the hope that they were to help them to connect with God, back in relationship with God. And yet, over time, as they began to add thing after thing, it became a very complex system of expectations. And they almost became, many of them, as we're going to see, set apart from it, and they became more of the judge and the jury and the county inspector driving around and looking at everybody to see who's breaking the law, who's not breaking their commandments. And they got way off base. And so as they walked through this, um, they began to use what I would call uh, a little bit of spiritual duct tape. (laughs) They were trying to make the outside look good, but eventually, these rules and traditions that they put into place, that they weren't really fixing the heart issue, the real issue, going on. And they just began to strip off piece after piece and, and begin to place it on and well, As we saw in, earlier in Mark, and you'll see throughout, one of their greatest areas they put duct tape on was the Sabbath. They put a strip on and said, well, don't walk through a field. Then they tear off another strip. Uh, make sure that you're not spitting on the ground. You could be cultivating. And all of these ridiculous rules and laws. And uh, Wash your hands three, four, ten times. Watch the couch that you sit on. That way, nothing is unclean when you eat. And so... They began to put these rules into place. But what does Jesus do? (laughs) Well, here's what Jesus does. Jesus comes and he replies and he says to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. He didn't cut any words there, did he? He said, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So he's saying, you're claiming that you're speaking for me. You're teaching my rules, my laws, and you're, saying, and you're adding to what I've already told you. What I've given you clearly in the scriptures in the Old Testament writings. And so he says, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And then he said to them, you have a fine way of replacing the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So not only were they adding to it, but over time they replaced what God said with their own interpretation and rules. He said, I told you to honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die." But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me now is Corban, or excuse, that is, uh, given to God, then you no longer permit them to do anything for his mother or father. In other words, they put in a rule to get money from people so that uh, the people would say, well, I have no money left to take care of my mother and father like I'm supposed to. They need help. And the Pharisees had set up a rule before that to get the money for themselves. They had lost track of what God had wanted them to do. And so they'd gone around and they began to to build this up and to set up these practices and traditions, which perhaps began as a tool, but then pretty soon they became these new rules. I see, practices and traditions are tools, but they shouldn't become the rules. For instance, uh, for us, we may have to put something in place to prevent us from sinning or to help us to remember to do what God has called us to do. Uh, there are different standards for entertainment. Some people may not even want a TV. Some people get uh, computers and you have software that protects you from where you can search and what comes up on your screen. And we set up these tools and, and Different rules in Christian schools and churches try to help set up standards for what we wear, our clothing, um, and for how we behave. And we set up this system so that we can become more holy. But all of a sudden, if we're relying more on the system, we're missing the point. And so, when our tools become rules, or we begin to say, this is my personal limit in this area, and we begin to judge other people, well, you're not doing the same thing as me, so you're less holy, you're less godly. And we begin to judge one another and cast different opinions about one another. We begin to miss what the real issue is. And so, we can find tools that help us to... to follow God's rules, but the tools cannot replace them. They cannot become doctrine. And so keep this in mind then as Jesus begins to turn and he moves from addressing them, calling them hypocrites, and then I'm done with you. Now let me teach the rest of you about how to live and break free of the control of these scribes and Pharisees. And so in verse 14 he says he called the people to him again he says, hear me, all of you, and understand. And uh, it doesn't come across sometimes in our English, but that should like be an, uh, a text in all caps. Hear me, all of you, he's saying. Listen up. I've got something important to say. You want to take note of this. Now, he was emphatic in the way he said it. There's nothing outside a person that by going in him can defile him. But the things that came out of a person are what defile him. And when he has entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then you are also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. This is Mark saying, in hindsight, he looks back and realizes Now, and they've gotten the teaching of Paul and this understanding that Jesus was saying the Gentiles are going to be allowed in the kingdom, all these food laws are no longer necessary because of the gospel he was living out and because of the cross and what he was about to do. And so uh, he was telling them, I'm going to let go of some of these laws, he was trying to prepare them for this next step in salvation and in history. And he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From for from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within a person. And so what he's saying here is that sin is a heart issue. The actions and words and our choices are outward evidence of something gone wrong in our hearts. Something gone wrong in our very core of our being. Very rarely do things just come out without them having a true root inside. And this is going to be pretty important in our understanding of how to live and follow Christ. So we we have to ask the question, okay, what is the heart? What is the heart? When the Bible talks about the heart, when God talks about the heart, what is the heart? Well, here's a quote by Ted Tripp. I'm going to quote these two brothers, Ted Tripp and Paul Tripp. They're pastors and counselors, excellent authors, um, and they have done extensive work on the human heart. And so it says, the Bible ascribes reasoning and thinking to the heart because the heart is the center of one's being. The heart is where we think, grieve, rejoice, love, hate, desire, fear, pray, and so forth. The heart is the wellspring of life. It's that when you feel bad about someone or, or you, we say your conscience, you, you have a sense you shouldn't be doing something or you feel you need to apologize to somebody. When we say we believe something is true, that's our heart, our will, our emotions, our desires. And so it's the heart that is the root of all sin, and so uh, I know that I've long been intrigued by this. And I, at one point, I pulled this out this week, and uh, at one point, I took a notebook when I was studying, and this just this is says heart, and this is all the original language words, and just all of this is all the verses in the Bible on the heart. It's about twenty pages with about thirty. <laughs> the heart is everywhere in the scriptures. God is after our hearts. He created us to connect with our hearts and be in relationship with us. Our hearts are the reason that we make choices. We're not just robots. We were created to make a choice. And worship and following God is a choice. And so if we're going to understand anything, we have to understand it starts in the heart. If you want your life changed, a relationship changed, you want your children changed, We have to address the heart. The heart is where the greatest transformation in life comes. And so, as we look at this, we have to begin and understand and we have to admit that people and situations don't cause us to speak or act as we do, but our hearts control our words and actions. People and situations simply provide the opportunity to unveil what we're struggling with. And if you're in a family, you know that that is true because it will come out. I like um, the way that the uh, late C.S. Lewis, the author of um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe," put it when he was talking about the heart. He says, He that but looketh on a plate of ham and eggs to lust after it has already committed breakfast in his heart. So just remember that that is how it begins. And uh, James talks about, the Bible talks about, it begins in our heart with desires that go against what the Lord has. And so uh, as we look at this, we have to say the heart condition we see here in this passage is Jesus is trying to lay out the good news of the gospel, and he's comparing it to religion. And religion is just anything that we do to try and earn God's favor. And we have to understand this. Religion uh, says you need to act this way. You need to follow these rules. You need to work to earn God's favor. And religion really is saying, I'm going to put duct tape over all of this to hope I'm presentable to God and usable. And that maybe someday I hope I'm good enough. And then it turns from I hope I'm good enough to I'm better than them. I can meet more of these rules than they can, so I must be fine. And we begin to judge other people. Now, you can be a follower of Christ and have religious tendencies, uh, or you can be a part of a religion and be trying to earn your way. But only Christianity, only following Jesus Christ says that you are saved by grace through faith, not of your own works. And it's, we believe the Holy Spirit, when you trust in Jesus Christ, he comes in your life and he deals with heart issues and sin issues. And you can begin to see and overcome the root of sins. And when we follow Jesus and we read the Bible and try to respond to it out of love, we're not trying to earn our way or prove we're better than anyone else. It's out of love. Understanding that we're going to celebrate Easter and that there's a great price paid for us. And when we understand that, Our response to Jesus, he says, I know those who love me as those who follow me and obey my commandments. We do it out of uh, attitude of gratitude towards what the Lord has done for us. And so Jesus is trying to teach them the law was always designed to expose the sinfulness in our hearts, to expose that struggle we have against the holiness of God, to show us the areas that we need to work on. And he set up this whole system of sacrifices and celebrations and payments for sin to say that sin has a cost. There's a consequence to sin. Sin needs to be dealt with and paid for. And there's a constant flow of sacrifices because there's never enough that be, could be given. As soon as you left, there's another opportunity to descend. sin. And he's trying to show them, you need something better. You need a better sacrifice. And as we're going to see next week, we'll even talk about Jesus begins to turn the table and start to give them a hint that he's the one who's going to die and be the ultimate and final sacrifice for sins. And give that payment so that um, no longer do they have to struggle uh, with a law that they can never Fully fulfilled. No matter how many rules or traditions they add to it, they're always going to fall short. And God was showing them, and the purpose was always to draw their hearts back to Him. And yet, they continually missed the point. And so, when you think about the heart, it's interesting. And when I was Googling up some stuff on the heart, immediately pops up signs and symptoms of heart trouble, heart failure, heart attack, stroke. And so there are outward symptoms, right? Shortness of breath, some chest pain, Um, there can be uh, fatigue, and different symptoms that you see. When you see those, you need to get somebody help right away. But if you don't recognize the symptoms and realize they're connected to what the heart's doing, you might not identify it right away. And so we need to look and be able to recognize signs and symptoms of our hearts uh, struggling. And it's Not until the heart issue is truly resolved, the right medicine is given to it, that we can have that fix in our lives and begin to see transformation. We have to address the right issue. And so it starts with a willingness to move beyond the action to the root of the issue in our own hearts. Um, Elise Fitzpatrick, another author that I love that writes about this, says, I wish I hated my own sin as much as I hate everybody else's. It begins with this understanding of, man, I want to get rid of some of this stuff in my life. I want to see my life truly changed. And when we understand the gospel and that we are saved by grace through faith, we understand that real change is available. Uh, uh, Paul Tripp, uh, Ted Tripp's brother, says that grace exposes the deepest issues of your heart, but then it always points you to the cross, which covers everything that has been exposed. And idols aren't stone statues. They're thoughts, desires, and longings that cause us to worship other things in place of the one true God. They steal our heart affections. It's not just the bad actions that we do. It's when we pursue, and our focus is on... uh, money or position or what other people think of us. And they begin to draw our hearts from worshiping the Lord and living our lives, as we say here, open-handed, doing everything for God's glory. And so how do we begin to address these uh, heart issues and begin to uh, find to the root? Well, the first thing is you want to identify the heart issue. It's not a yes or no thing. It's it's saying, Lord, what is it that caused me to do this? I just got really angry and I yelled. Yelling was the thing that came out. But what was at the heart of that? What was I angry about? Was I jealous about somebody? Uh, Was I envious? Uh, Was it that I was inconvenienced and it's my pride and my comfort that got in the way? Identify that issue. And then it's repent and believe the gospel. And we say that it's, it's just acknowledging. We know we're forgiven in Christ, but it's acknowledging what we're struggling with. And God is faithful and just, and he comes alongside us when we acknowledge it and helps us to change it. And then we recover and pursue. And the idea of recover and pursue is so well captured uh, in the scriptures. And um, it's captured over in uh, the book of uh, Colossians as well. And uh, as we look in Colossians, we can see that um, it says what we are supposed to be uh, putting on and putting off um, the Lord. And it says, just like the list here at the end of um, Mark, where it says pain, or, sinfulness, lust, desire, deceitfulness. It says, put on then the things of the Lord, and whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy, think of such things. And we're supposed to be, as believers, not only do we take the, the sin and deal with it, but we're to replace it with uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and with God's work in our life. And we say recover because we're recovering the image of God in our lives. You were created as a child of God. And when sin entered the world, it marred that. As we follow Christ, more and more of his identity and his beauty shine through us as we pursue him. And and we just repeat this process until Jesus comes again. Now, the gospel message is a message that saves us. It might be a message you need to listen to today that brings us to know Jesus Christ personally. You see, God designed us for a relationship with us and sins caused all this brokenness in the world. And we're frustrated. We hurt one another. We see the the weather and natural disasters, disease, it's everywhere around us and all those lines coming out of brokenness are ways we try to fill that void in our lives. And yet, God came, Jesus came, that's the gospel. Jesus came He lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again. And if we repent and believe in him, then we're saved. But a lot of times we finish there. We'd say, we're followers of Christ. We're going to heaven. Tickets punched. That's true. But this gospel message applies throughout our entire life. We have to return to the cross and understand and continue to grow to be more and more like Christ. Because he's left us here on a mission to show others who Jesus is. And so the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, it happened in the past, and it impacts our future, but it's something that can change our daily lives as well as we understand it. So uh, I want to get even more practical as we we look at this. What does it look like to identify these things? Well, let's say that I am really realizing I'm complaining a lot, and that comes from a heart that's very uh, self-centered. Well, what's the heart issue there? What's the issue underneath that self-centeredness? Well, it could be pride. It could be envy of other people. And it, it could be not believing that what God has for me in heaven is greater than what's here. I don't really long for it. And what do I need to do? Well, what do I need to put on? I need to love the Lord with all my heart, and I need to begin loving my neighbor as myself. If I'm self-centered, one of the best things we can do is serve one another, isn't it? And love our neighbor. Uh, That's one example. Another example could be uh, anger, uh, words lashing out. It could be because of foolishness. Um, It could be uh, because of a, a lack of trust in others. Or maybe we've deceived our own hearts on what we feel we deserve. I deserve this, and I'm angry because I didn't get it. Well, we need to understand the forgiveness available through Jesus Christ. We need to understand that what reconciliation is sometimes our anger is the inability to forgive others as we have been forgiven. And so, as we go through this process of identifying where these things come from, we can replace false belief with God's truth. Maybe you're just struggling with your self-confidence or who you are in Christ. And you're wondering about that. You need to read the Bible and you realize, I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I have a whole list of these statements. I am his son or daughter. I have an inheritance. I am loved. I am a beautiful creation designed by God. See, all behavior is linked to the attitudes of the heart. And so... One of the biggest areas that I've learned this in this morning, and since a lot of us have kids or have had kids, is that we often like to duct tape our kids. And that's it. duct taping is the easiest way of parenting there is. And here's how it looks for me sometimes. Uh, I could be at home and, and comfortable, and then my kids, who shall remain nameless, though you know them all... <laughs> Maybe they're fighting over a toy. Or they're yelling and screaming and one of them hits another one. That's never happened. Randy and I never even did that as kids. Uh, And then to do duct tape is to say, go to your rooms. Just, boom, slap on a little consequence, go to the room, and you leave it at that. (laughs) Or it could be, you know what? They're, They're arguing with you and you just say, you know what, my word is final. Close your mouth you're on timeout. you're in trouble, you're losing this privilege. And we just begin to try and do things and patch them up on the outside, but we're not really helping them grow to understand the concept of the heart, are we? And so in parenting, what I've learned that parenting, we need to understand that it's a heart issue. That we are called to shepherd our children's hearts towards the Lord. And it's a tremendous privilege to do so. And so the first step for us as parents is this. We, we have to um, begin to look at and identify with our own hearts. Because parenting has become a little bit of an idol in our culture. We, my generation has more tools, more books, more blogs more advice on parenting than ever before. And it can become our idol in our own heart. I want my comfort, therefore my children need to do this on my time I worked. And it could be that we feel we worked hard, we deserve peace and quiet, we deserve respect. And that results in anger and frustration when that doesn't happen. And then it could also be that We feel we deserve that respect, and you see, respect is a good thing, but it can be a great thing if we teach our kids that our authority is given to us by the Lord, and when they respect our authority, we're training our kids to be under God's authority. But when it's all about me and my authority, I can get offended pretty easily, because I want to be king of the hill, Well, what about the idol of success and living through our children and what they're doing and what God's using them to do? And all of a sudden, that becomes my identity because of how they're doing. And therefore, we now live in an age of specialization, right? Kids can go to this, this, and this, and it's all spread out and specialized. They get special training, and none of that is bad in and of itself. But if it becomes the main thing instead of Christ and becomes an idol in our hearts, we're not helping our kids at all. And maybe it's just that we feel we deserve to be appreciated for what we're doing for our kids, and when we don't hear it, we get frustrated. And so these traps get in the way, and we begin to use duct tape. And so we need to understand, first off, that God gave us the the family as a primary learning community. We learn about life together. And our kids, whether you like it or not, your kids are always interpreting the world. Every moment, they're looking at the world, trying to figure it out, observing our choices, making their own choices. And as they grow, that happens more and more. And so, as we walk through, are we going to help them interpret the world through God's eyes? Or are we just going to keep putting duct tape on to get through the moment after moment after moment? And so what I want to encourage you with, I, I mean, I could do 10 weeks on this because I have to preach it to myself every week. It's a hard thing to do. But it's also a passion I have. And we need to have questions and conversations. And in the long run for your kids, that's more vital than consequences in your comfort. See, a child is younger, they need those boundaries and clear consequences for behaviors. And yet, we have to have time where we say, you know what? The reason you guys weren't sharing is because of what's going on in your heart. You you really were envious of that, weren't you? You really didn't want that toy until he picked it up. We begin to have these heart conversations, and instead of just yes and no, we begin to help them to see there's something else going on in there. Uh, There's anger beneath there, there's jealousy, there's envy. And we begin to talk and they begin to understand, oh, I've got these things in my heart that I feel, and God can help me address them. And they say, you know what? I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't do that to me whenever I messed up. Aren't you thankful we have a God who died for us so that we don't have to deal with that and say he can help us with that issue? We can begin to talk to them. And as they get older, and as we're learning, we're entering the teen years now. Well, one year in, and we've got another teenager this summer. And uh, teenage—it's about conversation, and it's that old saying with the soap: it's lather, rinse, repeat. You'll have the same conversations over and over, but our whole idea is to shape a heart and begin to talk. And part of it is admitting and saying, you know what? Um, I was it one of my younger kids the other week? One day I came home, I was tired, I had meetings, and I was like, You guys, you're too loud. You're playing, didn't it? Go, you're on timeout. And then one of them said, Dad, yesterday we did the exact same thing and we didn't get in trouble. What changed? <laughs> Me. It's about my mood <laughs> and about what I needed in the moment. And part of that's fair, but really, for them, from their perspective, they're like, I don't even know the boundary anymore. Because yesterday you said this was mine and you were loud with us. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so we begin to understand and that we need to address their heart. And there are more we can say about this. So I just want to get your minds to thinking about parenting from this perspective and about asking open-ended questions. And so what did you do? Let them say it. Why did you do it? What's the heart issue involved or what emotion is involved is another way of saying it. Um, uh, What about the gospel are you not believing? This is for if you're an adult or a teen. uh, What are you not believing? If you are envious and jealous, are you not believing that Christ has something better for us in heaven? Or if you're working for approval or you're trying to get um, with Uh, your own identity or you're, you're saying, I need to do this. I need to show up and do this, this, and this to get God's approval. I need to be in church this much. I have to dress this way. And we put on all these rules. We're saying, well, the gospel really wasn't enough. That Jesus didn't accomplish everything. I have to finish the job for him. And then as believers, we don't just stop doing a behavior. We replace it with something godly in our lives. A lot of times we say, well, I can just stop that sin. Well, that's great, but God wants you to grow in kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and love. Pursue it. So these are just some questions I put together and other resources that you can begin to ask yourself so that you're not ending up putting duct tape on all of these things. You see, because life is embedded with, I call them God moments, opportunities. And instead of inconveniences... You don't do it every time, but you begin to say, you know what, I am here to grow, to become more like Christ. And sometimes you need to say, we need to stop and have a deeper conversation about this. And you do need consequences and rules within the structure of your home. And even in your own lives, there are natural consequences. But we want to take these God moments to have conversations about why we believe what we do, about the reality that I struggle to follow Christ it's not always easy to deal when the Holy Spirit reveals struggles in my heart. And so, I want you to, in thinking of all this, sometimes it can be, feel a little bit guilty, but I want you to understand this. God is strong enough to save your children no matter what you do. That's how great Jesus Christ is. That's why we're celebrating Easter. And the cross is strong enough to overcome... Anything you struggle with. Paul Tripp says, The cross guarantees that even in your darkest moment, God will never turn in disgust and walk away. No matter what heart condition you're in. There's no rebellion, no weakness, no foolishness, no evil of the heart that the cross can't and hasn't defeated and that grace cannot transform in your lives. There's not one issue down there that God hasn't seen and that the cross doesn't have the remedy for. That's the power of Jesus Christ. It's the power in our lives. The power. That's the real power in parenting. It's pointing them to the cross. There have been times I've had to look and I say, you know what, I can't solve that issue for you. I don't have the answer, but Jesus does. You can talk to Jesus. I'm glad you came to me, but let me point you to your heavenly Father. And we need to do that with one another. Sometimes we get caught up in life and it's like... God's got this covered. You can make it through this. That's why we're here in community. Sometimes we need to hear that from other people. We say, I can't overcome this. Yeah, you can. And we're here to help you. We're not here to judge you. We're here to come alongside you and say, yeah, I'm messed up too. Now, Jesus called them hypocrites. And I say, hey, you want to come? I lead a bunch of hypocrites in church. Come and join us every Sunday. Because at our heart, we are, but... The difference is are we pursuing change and are we allowing God to address things, not whether we're perfect or not. It's how we look at other people with humility and understand that. And so I want us to be encouraged this morning that um, when we let Jesus deal with the root, you're going to find more joy and produce sweeter fruit in your life. Remember, joy is not a feeling Although sometimes it is, joy is a perspective on life that says nothing can touch me because I'm a child of God. It says even though I'm hurting and I'm struggling, I have hope, a living hope beyond this circumstance because of what Jesus has done. And joy is that thing that you can look at your child and say, listen, I know that you're set and you made a great mistake, but that's, I love you unconditionally. And Jesus, he loves you more than I ever could. Which I can't imagine because I love my kids so much. And that's the power of God and the gospel. That's the power of community and growing and seeing our lives change because your life actually can change. It's not a moment. It's a process over time. But that's what God wants to do. (laughs) He wants to go and slowly all of us have duct tape all over us. Now, being the age and day we live in I, and having a good wife, I decided not to duct tape one of the kids and then remove it because I thought that would be cool illustration. But I prefer to remain a free man and stay off of uh, all these posts against me. But imagine yourself. We all have duct tape on us trying to patch things up. But Jesus comes through and he, as he removes that from us, more and more of Christ shines through us and people begin to see God instead of you. And they say, something's different. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, you're a person.